Amen. And if you'd stand with me, we're going to get right into the word. We're going to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and we're going to read in verse 1. It has been very nice to have two of my best friends in the world with us. I'm a little closer to one than I am the other, but Justin Root, I'm, I'm pretty close to him. And uh, he's, he's getting married in a little over a month. I'm excited to stand with you on that day. We're, it's going to be awesome. But this is a, a true servant of the kingdom of God and a good old Illinois boy. He's an awesome man, and I'm also glad to have my best friend in the world here, Claire McElhaney. There it is. On that note, are you at Second Chronicles chapter 20? We're going to skip around a little bit so we don't have to read the entire chapter. But verse 1, it says, It came to pass after this also, that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and them other beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on the side of Syria. I would say when it comes to a spiritual battle, anytime somebody declares something great, you should automatically say, not greater than my God. But they called it a great multitude when they're telling their king, and behold, they be in Hazazon Tamar, which is an Jedi. You did not know that there were Jedis in the Bible, and you just found that out. And you're really excited. Some of you, I, I can tell you're like, man, I like this book even more. Verse 3, and Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. He feared then, sought the Lord, and proclaimed a fast through all of Judah. Verse 4, and Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And skipping down to verse 9. If, when, when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house. Somebody say, this house. And in thy presence, for thy name is in this house. And cry unto thee in our affliction, and thou wilt hear and help. Just a few more verses. Verse 12, O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against the great company. There's that great thing again. That cometh against us. Neither know we what to do. But our eyes are upon thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord. With their little ones, their wives, and their children. Somebody say they stood with their family. I want to preface everything I say here today. If you don't have family, you have a family here at the refuge. If I reference family at any point over the next few moments, and you feel like, well, preacher, you're not talking to me. I'm alone. I don't have a family. I don't have people that know God. You have a family. Stood with all of their family. In verse 15, and Jehaziel said, hearken ye all Judah. 
and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou king of Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed, by reason of the great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. If it's all right, I want to preach to you about the future of the family. The future of the family. I want you to turn, look to somebody in your family right now and say, what is our future? Come on, say it one more time. What is our future? Amen. If you would set your Bibles down, lift up your hands. Let's ask the Lord to have his way upon this time, this sermon. In Jesus' name, Lord, we ask that your hand would be upon us right now. I pray that you would anoint your word, Lord, coming out of my mouth. We know, Lord, that your word, it is anointed. But anoint our ears to hear. Lord, anoint the preacher to speak. God, that we could receive something that would have us to leave here differently than the way that we came in. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Why don't we clap our hands unto the Lord one more time before we're seated. Amen. You can be seated. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, I figured I'd start in the book of Genesis and we're just going to work our way through Revelation. Hope you don't have anything going on this afternoon. But 30, verse 31 says, God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. So that tells me God did not create anything evil. It was all very good. But then suddenly when chapter 3 opens as we turn the pages of Genesis, there is a sly serpent. And he is clearly evil. How do we know that? Why? Because he questioned the word of God. Anything that will cause you to question the word of God is not of God. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did he really? God had told Adam in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17, the day that you eat of this tree you shall surely die. But the serpent says you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it in your eyes will be open. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is why. Jesus says of him in John chapter 8 and verse 44, that he is both a liar and a murderer. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But let me ask you, who is this serpent? Really, who is he? When I asked myself that question, the fullest answer I found was in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. The great dragon was thrown down. Noah, I don't know about you, but when you wrestle, 
Somebody throw somebody down, they're not that great. Because he said that he was great in his own eyes. Just as the great enemy that's coming against us. Or the great... But he was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. I'm going somewhere this afternoon. The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Him and his whole family. They were, they were thrown down. The Pharisees, they call him Beelzebub, the prince of demons. Paul, he calls him the God of this age and the prince of the power of the air. It was Jesus that called him the evil one, the ruler of the world. That is the one that we meet in Genesis chapter 3. He is already evil, already a deceiver, already a murderer when he appears in the garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, God speaks to the serpent and pronounces judgment on him. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Notice, notice this. We're going deep for a couple minutes and then I'm going to preach. We're going we're gonna to preach together. I believe God's going to do something in our families, but just, just notice this. That at first it looks like the warfare will be between two offsprings. Between your offspring and her offspring. But in the next word, something different is said. He shall bruise your head. So who is he? The woman's offspring. Who is your? He shall bruise your head. The serpent himself. So God says the day is coming. Devil, the day is coming when you... Not just your offspring, but you will be defeated and removed from the earth. The offspring of the woman will crush your head. You see, what we're talking about here is the decisive blow that Jesus Christ made. Because he was the perfect man. The offspring of that woman named Mary that was just a woman with no power in it of herself but a desire to please her God. There might be a lot of names that we could give this enemy of your soul. We heard a few. But I believe that there is none greater name for the devil. There is none more accurate name. There is no name that fits him better than the name that the Calvary cross that my God sacrificed himself on that gave him a name. For you and I, the name that the cross gave Jesus was a Savior. The name that the cross gave Jesus was our Redeemer. But the name that is given to the enemy of your soul is defeated. Is defeated. 
You see, because whenever Jesus died upon that cross, he went down into hell. And what did he do? He took the keys. Why? Because the devil ain't that great. I say all that to say this, that if this world is not our home, and this is the place where the devil seems to rule and to reign and to have dominion because he's great. If this is his home, I'd say it ain't looking too good for the home team. Now, bear with me here, if it's his home, where is your home? Parents, I'm not asking you what the address is, whether you live in Davenport, Bettendorf, Rock Island, Moline, somewhere farther than that. I, I'm not asking you where your physical address is. There's something about home court advantage. Whenever somebody has home court advantage, they know exactly what parts of the court will trip you up. There's one time I was playing football, and there was this home field. It was not my home field. It didn't matter. In two years, we only won one game. We were bad. We were really bad. But there was one time that we played in, in this city called Bridgeport. And it had rained a ton. It was a, a turf field. And whenever we went and we played there, I mean, it rained all day before and all day in the morning. There was no lightning, so they still made us play. But whenever it would rain, it would bubble up in the field. And these boys knew exactly where those were. They knew exactly how to get over them. They knew exactly what to prepare for. So the entire time that we're playing this game, we're running around the field. We felt good about a play. And the next thing you know, Brother Kellerman, I would just eat it. I mean, turf in the mouth. If you've anybody ever played any sports on turf, and you know those little beads? I found it was like, it was like finding sand in your shoes for months. Except for I was finding it in my ears and in my mouth. I mean, it was bad. It was bad because we didn't have the home field advantage. And let me tell you that he may have home court advantage today. The devil may know exactly what parts of this field that you're in are going to trip you up. He may know exactly what's going to cause you to stumble and what's going to cause you to have a setback. He may have all of that. But today, refuge, we, like the old King Jehoshaphat, we stand before this house in his presence, declaring that his name is in this house. Come on. We declare that the battle is not ours, but it is the Lord's. We declare that it's not in our own strength, but it's in his strength. And let me tell you today, all of my parents, I want you to pay attention for just a moment. If, if he's not going to win at home, you've got to win in your home.
You've got to be the ones that are willing to say, as for me and my house. Because the two hours a week as their youth pastor that I get, it doesn't compare to the abilities you have in the home. does not compare to what you can do. Why? Because there's a future for the family. And I'm telling you today, there is nothing the enemy can do to destroy a family that is determined to go to battle like we see in the story that we read. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah, he gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Notice how their first reaction to the enemy. Before they ever saw the enemy, before they ever really had confirmation other than a word that the enemy was on their way to destroy them. The leader, his first reaction was not to come up with a battle plan. It was not to prepare the swords and the spears and the shields. The first reaction was to ask help of the Lord. Their first reaction was to call upon the one they knew had gone before them. So let me ask you this. Is your reaction the same reaction the Bible expects you to have? I saw some siblings just now. That just went... Remember last night at the bonfire? Reactions. Come on, are you reacting like the Bible expects you to react? Well, I'm tired. We're not going to go to church tonight. I mean, I'm just exhausted. It was a bad day at work. So, I, I mean, my boss yelled at me, so it'll be all right if I take it out on my kids. Come on, I, I didn't get the raise I was expecting to get, so it's all right if I have a bad attitude and, and let everything be taken out on the ones that I supposedly love. Or even, things are not looking great in my marriage right now, so what, what's the harm going to be if I have a drink or two? Come on, I, I mean, if I look at the Word of God and I try to fit it into my own whatever, I, I mean, I could, I could, right? What's the harm going to be? What's it going to do? I can go ahead and, and, and just, what's your reaction? Young people, everyone at school is pressuring me to do what they do. What's your reaction going to be? Come on, what's your reaction going to be? Why not smoke it along with them? Why not? We asked Brother Caraway, what was something you'd put on a shirt? 
And he said, why not? In reference to why would you not give everything to God? Why would you not try him out? Come on, why, why not have a sip whenever you're hanging out with them outside of school grounds or perhaps in school grounds and they say, if you've never tried it, it's great. Why not watch what they're watching? Why not watch what they're watching? Why not let the vessel by which things enter my soul, the eye, Really, what harm is it going to do? I can forget it. I'm going to take it a step further. Why not make that TikTok video? I mean, it worked for the other girls in my school. Some of y'all are like, what in the world is TikTok? Surely, it'll work for me. Obviously, perhaps I should take that a, a, a step further. Obviously, portraying my body as something to be lusted after by dancing suggestively to an ungodly song worked to get that boy's attention and validation. Obviously, it worked for her and she's happy. Why not do that? Young man, why not do it as well? If you have a child in this place from the ages of 9 to 20, and they have access to a device, you should be listening to what I'm saying right now. And I know some of them are thinking in their minds, Brother Alex, not this again. Come on, it's just an app. Did you know that in the last four years, the number one way the number one way, and I'm going to be careful, I know there's young ears in this house. But the number one way that our young people from the ages of eight years old, I read this this morning to make sure it was right. From eight years old to about 18 years old, the number one way that they are getting access to images and videos that they wouldn't dare watch in front of you is through an app called TikTok. Yes, you could create a video sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ on a social media platform. I believe that. I'm a fan of that. But what are you doing to monitor? There's a, there's a woman by the name of Mary Eichel. She wrote a book called The Cyber Effect. If you've not read it, she has a PhD in like 75 different things. Not that three little letters give somebody the right to tell you how to live your life. Amen? But Mary Aiken, she, she said this. Every parent should ask themselves an honest question in the day and age we live in. Would you take your child, put them on a plane to New York City? He got really excited at going to New York. Put them on a plane to New York City. They're under 12 years old. Tell them to figure out how to get a taxi, to tell them to take them to Times Square, and to get dropped off there, and that they should just figure it out. How many of you would do that? 
Brother Walker, you're shaking your head. You wouldn't let Jadavius go to New York City by himself with nobody to help him, nobody to lead him, nobody to show him how to use a map. Well, this, this lady named Mary, she says, that is not even touching the surface of the equivalent of putting a phone, a smart device, in the hand of your child and telling them they can go behind a closed door with no supervision, no accountability. Young people, it's not because we hate you and we don't want you to have fun. It's because there's a future in the family. And I don't know about you, I'm not nearly as invested in these young people as our parents are. But I'll tell you what I am, and I'm not willing to simply let things go by and act like they're not a big deal. I'm not simply willing to say, well, it's just a trend, it'll go away. Come on, the effects that it will have on their souls, the effects that it will have on their minds, it's worth saying, I've got to get involved in their lives. I've got I've to step alongside them and see what's, what's my child involved in. But is your reaction the same reaction the Bible expects you to have? Is your reaction to the pressure of this world to be like the world? Their first reaction was not to give way to the enemy. We need to raise our kids to have the right reactions, to know where to turn. Verse 13, it said, And all of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Together. We're not going to let our kids fight battles on their own. We're not going to let our kids fight things. And we're not going to get together and call on the name of the Lord without them. When the enemy is knocking on the door threatening to defeat your household, are you going to stand up? Are you going to stand up? At this time, I want to ask all of the fathers that are in this house to stand up for me. And if your wife's here, I'm going to have her stand with you as well. I know, Brother Cheek, what you would do if somebody was trying to get into your home to harm your child. Brother Velez, I know what you would do if somebody was, Brother Tapia, because they mean everything to you. What would you be willing to do? 
if you would be willing to do absolutely anything to prevent somebody from putting their hands on your child. I want to ask you an honest question today. How in the world could we let the world walk right into their lives and put its hands on their future? How in the world could we let the enemy walk right into their lives at school, in their friend groups, when they're all alone, and put their hands on your kids' futures? We've got grandparents in the house that would testify, I would do anything. To go back to a moment where I knew the Lord was telling me, go pray for them. Because we stand together. I want us all to stand all over this place right now. And young people, if your parents are here, I want you to find them. And go stand with them right now. Let's make this quick. I'm quickly coming to a close. I feel the presence of God in this place. I know this is simple. But we're a family. I want you to put your arms around your kids if they're here. And young people, I'm looking around to make sure this is your family. I don't care what it looks like at home. This is your family. They stood together. And what did they do? And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord. And that should praise the beauty of holiness. As they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord. Come on, somebody just say that. Praise the Lord. For his mercy endureth forever. I can just imagine. I can imagine a father walking, holding his wife's hand as their kids are surrounded all around them. Thinking, I'm not good enough for this. How am I supposed to lead my family into victory whenever I'm struggling myself? How am I supposed to do that? And they hear the voice of one saying, the battle is not yours. It is God's. The battle is not. There's a mother that's walking towards them. They're praying. They're seeking the face of God. Oh, my prayer life struggling, God, in a moment of pressure like this when you need me, you need me to come through and worship you and praise you. How the battle is not yours. Because the lie that the enemy wants to put into your family is that you can't be connected. 
You can't be connected. Why? Because a handheld size God in your pocket is the most connected thing in your life. It's time for us at dinner time to put these things away and stand up as a family. Because the church family will never be what God desires it to be until our family units are what God needs them to be. Don't rob your kids of the opportunity of having an apostolic father. Don't rob your kids of the opportunity of having an apostolic mother. When was the last time they heard you talk in tongues in the house? I had somebody recently tell me, Alex, I've never heard my parents pray in my home. Twenty-something years old, pursuing a call of God in the ministry. How in the world am I supposed to be what God's called me to be whenever my parents have never even cried out to you in the home? Don't let that be the battles your kids have to face. It's time for us to stand behind them. It's time for us to say, you know what, we fight this together. Because there's some elders in the room that are examples of the next part I'm about to talk about. What did they do? Exactly what God told them to do before the army. Praise the Lord for His mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Sinai, otherwise known as the enemy. And they were smitten. If the home team of this world is going to lose, it's going to require your home team winning. It's going to require saying there's some things I'm not going to let in my household. It's going to require saying I'm going to make room in my calendar for my kids because they need me. Don't cast the responsibility of raising your child onto somebody else. The teachers at the school can only do so much without the Holy Ghost. A counselor in some room somewhere can only do so much without the Holy Ghost. We got counselors in this room that can tell you testimony after testimony of how they wish these kids had apostolic parents. I want us to look at our kids right now. In a world that's so void of eye contact. Parents, I want you to begin to just look at your children. And kids, I don't want you looking down right now. I want you looking directly in the eyes of your parents. What is the future of this family? What is the future of this family? Fathers, what are you going to lead this family in? Believe it or not,
whether you want to deny it or not, there is a battle that you're facing right now. Because the enemy of the souls of the people you love most is trying to tear apart your family. Come on. What is the future of this family? Look at them. Think about it. Am I just going to continue in the way that I am or am I going to raise them up to be greater? And young people, the people around you, whether your parents are here or not, they want you to do more for God than anybody in this room ever has. When they correct you out of the love of their heart. I know it makes you upset. But your soul should cry thank you. Because you don't know what they've been through. You don't know where your parents have been and the mistakes they made that they don't want you going into. But right now presence of God is sweeping through this place. I believe he's going to minister to our families. We're going to begin to do exactly what the word of God told us to do. We're going to worship the Lord together. We're going to praise his name together. Come on, I want us all over this this place. Fathers, I want you to begin to lift your voice. Come on, don't let your home be the only place where your children hear you raise your voice. The house of God is where I want to cry out the most. The house of God is where I'm going to lead my family in truth. Come on, come on, what's the future of this family? What's the future of this family? <laughs> oh, I want you to begin to lay hands on your kids. Lord, I pray over their minds. I pray that they can talk to I pray, Lord, that there could be a relationship with my children that is greater than where it's at right now. Because, God, I'm not willing, Lord, to win in other aspects of my life but lose my children. I want our kids, our youth, to go a little further. Come on, you heard it preached last night, and you obeyed the word of God. I want our children to begin to pray for their parents like you've never prayed for them before. Oh, as a family unit, if this feels awkward right now, that means it's time to start. If this feels weird right now, that means it's time to start. Oh, we cry out to you, God. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, let's pray together. Let's pray together. I believe God's wanting to take our families into a new dimension of unity. 
We're not going to let this world tell us how to raise our kids. We're not going to let this world tell us how to be a father or a mother. But the Word of God tells me I've got to stand up. If your family's not here, I want you to find somebody in this place. And I want you to look over at them. I understand if you want to stay socially distant, that is perfectly fine. But between you and God, I want you to begin to pray over the family that we have here at the refuge. The body of Christ. There's no one in this house that's exempt oh, from this message right now. God, we ought to be a family because there is a future for this family.